I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today we are going to be discussing the 13th episode of the fifth season of Supernatural titled The Song Remains the Same. Jamie, what did you Okay, so I want to start off with something that's ridiculous, but I am pissy about. <laughs> and I just want to say, for the record, that Anna, like, kidnaps John. And I'm like, okay, so it has to be John that, like, the bloodline is connected to for, like, the Michael vessel. Yeah. Has to be John, because otherwise, why would Anna specifically target John? You know, if the Michael slash Lucifer bloodline is not it, John, yeah. why not target Mary? She obviously clearly chose who she was going to target. And I was like, I was so ready. I was like, I'm going to come to the podcast and I'm be like, I know it's John because of this. I know that this is the bloodline. And then we fucking get confirmation in this episode anyway. <laughs> so, like, I now just sound like a fucking goddamn liar. <laughs> I am so mad because I didn't get to come to the recording and be like, this is what I know, and then be proven right back, like, next week. No, 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 no. I got the confirmation immediately, and now it just sounds like I'm lying because I wanted to be smart. But I swear to God, <laughs> that is not how it works. The audio looks weird when it's recording. It's right. It's still showing that it's recording. Fine. Hopefully, okay. this fucking works. Full of fear. Yeah. <laughs> this audio only podcast might not even have audio. <laughs> A joke that won't matter. This doesn't record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am so sorry that you did not get to be obnoxious next week. <laughs> I know. I'm so fucking mad. It is just, it is ridiculous on a whole other level. Moving on from there, my PSA of the day, Beth, what do you think it's going to be this week? I only have one guess. It's not exactly a ha-ha take. Okay, yeah. <laughs> my guess is that abortion is essential healthcare. You would be correct. Oh. But you would not be guessing the correct PSA. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I thought yeah, you were that I, I was mean, correct. I mean, you're correct in that, yes, abortion is essential healthcare. You'd be incorrect in that it is not my PSA of the day. Okay. My PSA of the day, I'm going to I'm gonna be decoded a little bit here and oh suggest therapy. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to suggest therapy. It is a viable option if you are having difficulty. Everyone can benefit from therapy. You don't have to be going through anything particularly tough to have stuff to talk about. If you were not in a good mental and emotional place, therapy might be able to help you with that. Solid. Solid. That, that is my PSA. I was like, I'm just going to like back up exactly what Dean says in this episode. Because he just, he, he suggests therapy, which I, I do think is very fucking rich of him. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I think, wait, I wrote down the line. Where are we? Get some therapy, pal. Don't take it out on my planet. <laughs> is the exactly. line. And he is so valid for that. Okay. Okay, so this episode just contains so much stuff. It surely does. Eric Kripke slapped the bonnet of this episode and said, this episode <laughs> can fit so much stuff in it. <laughs> Which I did spot, it's a Sarah Gamble episode. Mm-hmm. So we've got to, as we do, we've got to reflect <laughs> on how this fits into the Sarah Gamble long <laughs> And I think it just really cements my opinion that Sarah Gamble was the one who wanted angels. Because she was really like, how many angels can I put in this episode? She's like, I can even put in dead angels. <laughs> we're doing time travel yes that is a great point because we not only have Cass in this episode which oh my god he's a delight and we will talk about him mm-hmm. but yeah. we also have Anna back from heaven prison which we should also talk about Yeah, uh, we also have Uriel back from the dead but not really and we also have Michael this is our first interaction with Michael officially formally he's so creepy with young John's face uh-huh. like uh-huh. I'm sorry but like mm-hmm. I have thoughts on Michael, and I think that's probably a good place for us to start this episode. Yes, 
Yes, it is. Because there are some implications there. I've already touched on some a little bit in my rant at the beginning of the episode about the blood, and like clearly it is John's side of the family that is significant. Mary's side might be significant in the way that there are like generational hunters. Yeah. Because it all seems like it's about like that sense of like history and like everything has been leading to this. So the fact that Mary's family are hunters, I don't think is a coincidence. No. I think that is partially by design. But I do think it's interesting that they've made John sort of significant in that John is technically a Michael vessel, but it also means that John is technically a Lucifer vessel. And it also means that Adam is technically a Michael vessel and technically a Lucifer vessel, as is Seth. is technically both a Michael vessel and a Lucifer vessel. Or at least has the potential to be. Yeah. But as Michael specifies in this episode, like they have their true vessel and then they just have people who can contain them, yes. essentially. Like, yes, John is a Michael vessel, but he's not the Michael vessel. Yes. I think it's also different because I think Nick, who's currently Lucifer's vessel, I think he is less suited to being Lucifer's vessel than, say, someone like Adam. Okay, I can see where you're coming from. I think it's sort of like there are different bloodlines Mm -hmm. and maybe Nick's bloodline is a slightly different bloodline or it's like half a step away. Like the Winchester bloodline is the best possible fit and then Dean and Sam are the best possible vessels because of the family dynamic inherent there. So it's like, A, the bloodline is potent enough so they can actually contain them, Mm -hmm. and then they are the ideal vessels because of the existing dynamics. Yes, and Michael even clarifies in this episode that their bloodline stretches back to Cain and Abel, which, if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, is the story of the original murder in the Bible, and they were brothers. They didn't even cast Abel. You don't understand that joke yet. (laughs) When you will, it will be so funny. But yeah, so Cain is referred to as like, he was the original murderer, Mm. basically. The father of murder, if you will. Okay, so is Cain, so Cain is the original murderer. Mm -hmm. Abel's the original victim. Yes. Who was the oldest sibling there? I'm fairly certain it was Cain. So the older sibling Let me fact murdered check that. the youngest. I don't know the Bible. I only know the Bible in relation to Supernatural. <laughs> Let's ask Google. Cain and Abel, who was older? Question mark. Uh, so according to the Wikipedia page for Cain, Cain is a biblical figure in the book of Genesis within Abrahamic religions. He is the elder brother of Abel and the firstborn mm-hmm. son of Adam and Eve the first couple within the Bible. He was a farmer who gave an offering of his crops to God. However, God was not pleased and favoured Abel's offering over Cain's. It does not specify what Abel's offering was. Okay, so Dean's fully going to murder Sam. That's your prediction? Yeah. That's a formalised Jamie prediction? You said that with your whole chest. That's a formalised... <laughs> so much conviction. <laughs> That's a formalised Jamie prediction. So, obviously, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I have a feeling that... The season five finale is going to end with some sort of lineup of dominoes that fall that mean that Sam is dead. Interesting. You've touched on this once before. Mm. I can't remember exactly. It was either the very end of season four or the an episode that we haven't released yet of season five, which can only be a couple. But I'm I'm certain you've touched on. Mm. Oh, it's because of that whole theory you have about Dean being the doll in the dollhouse, and like Sam's dead and Dean gets his semi-perfect life he gets his happily ever after quote unquote unquote. that's when you kind of touched on this yeah but this is solidifying that this is solidifying that for me so i think at the end of the season whether they both say yes or there are external factors that mean that i think actually the most likely one is that they're going to manage to manipulate the brothers into both saying yes and the battle is going to go down as planned 
Dean as Michael is going to kill, kill Sam. Sam as Lucifer. And then as reward for his service, essentially, <laughs> the angels are going to grant Dean his happily ever after. You know, heart's desire, wish, etc. Yeah. But they cannot bring Sam back. That's the one caveat. That's the one caveat because Sam is the true Lucifer vessel. Mm-hmm. And as Anna says in this episode, Sam Winchester must die. Which yeah. is Loki? Like John coded. <laughs> also very Gordon coded. Yeah, I think it's like the exact same line. Yeah. We're basically just rehashing plots from season two now, so good to know the supernatural writers have already run out of ideas. And yeah. it's so good for the environment though. They're recycling. <laughs> recycling. Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Here is the thing about this that is really, really funny. You have had a bit of an ongoing bit. We haven't talked about it in a hot minute. Mm. Not really since season three. Anna had a plot. Her plot was to kill Sam Winchester. Her plot was to kill Sam Winchester with a knife. She was, in fact, going to stab Sam. (laughs) Sam is so stabbable. And then she doesn't. Because Cass apprehends her and is a badass motherfucker about it. And we'll talk about this. But then... He's a little nerdy guy. I know. But he's also a badass motherfucker. But then Sam literally does get stabbed. And he does die. So far, direct stabbing is the only thing that can kill Sam. And it is so fun. I literally have a note that just says, Sam is very stabbable. Um, Lilith, take notes. This is the thing. That's why they should have known that, like, Ruby and Lilith were playing them the entire time. Because Sam is very stable. Like, it is just a fact of life. Sam is very stable. It is the most efficient way to kill him. Clearly. Lilith is smart. Ruby is smart. They knew this. There's Mm -hmm. a reason they never stabbed Sam. If they stabbed Sam, he wouldn't be around to kill Lilith, which they needed him to do. Mm -hmm. But also... They would just be getting rid of the vessel that they wanted for a look. Like, they would just be stabbing their overlord's vessel. Like, which would piss him up. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't want to damage the vessel. What I find so funny, though, is that at the end of season two, obviously, Sam dies. And Dean is so desperate enough that he makes a deal to bring Sam back. What's the better if he had just waited, like, a little bit? They would have just (laughs) brought Sam back anyway. Like... Oh, God. For their plan, they don't want Sam to be dead. Yeah. Like, and they obviously have the power to bring people back. What's the bet? They would have just brought Sam back anyway. Yeah, look, here's the thing about that. I have... Like, don't get me wrong. I think when they they brought Sam back, he would have been fully broken by torture so that he would have said yes to Lucifer immediately. But... They needed Dean to break the first seal, mm. though. So, like, Dean had to make a deal or somehow end up in hell. Mm. So, honestly, I think they would have just let Sam die purely because it's just an easy way to get Dean to make a deal. You know what I mean? Because, like, he's pretty stubborn otherwise. Yeah, and, like, that's what I mean. It's, like, kind of like playing a game of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's, like, but- both hell and Dean want Sam alive. It's, mm-hmm. like, who's going to cave and bring Sam back first? A question that I have about Sam being stabbed, right, with the pipe. First of all, I think that the way that the blood pours out of him is very gross. I don't like watching it, but I do think it's effective, so props for that. I do have a question. When Sam has died and Michael... Rip Sam. Yeah, rip Sam. Michael, like, zaps him back to reality, Mm. right? The pipe drops down. The pipe obviously stays where it was. Mm. So does the giant puddle of blood. So I... I'm just... Does Sam have less blood? In the future, like when Michael puts him back, does he restore him with blood? Or does he have less blood than he did in 1978? Or is there ramifications of Sam's blood being in 1978? 
I'm assuming not because A, DNA testing's not a thing, so they can't be like, mm. yo, this is weird. And also B, the house that he gets stabbed in belongs to Mary. Mm. And it's like, it's very clear that it, she's not going to call the cops out to that house. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> and also she is well and truly out of the life. And because Michael mind zaps her so that she has no memories of anything that happened, she's not planning on going back to that property. And I'd assume that they own it outright. So it's like by the time anyone goes there again. It's just going to be a dry puddle. It's just going to be a dry puddle of blood. You know what I'd find really interesting? What? Is if Dean and Sam actually go back to the house in the present day. Ooh. Like, and actually, like, they're like, oh, well, we know this is a safe house. Like, do you know, we get not exactly, obviously, like, that doesn't happen in this episode, Mm. but we do get another episode with time travel further down the track. And a similar thing happens where they're in the house in both time zones. Mm. And it's interesting because, like, something happens in the past that creates a thing in the future and you yeah. can see it in both locations. Yeah. Like you see it happen and then you see the like scar of it basically. Yeah. It's really interesting and very clever the way it's done. So that'll be fun to get to. But yes, it would have been really interesting to have like Sam and Dean like revisit that because house. theoretically, they own it now. Yeah, actually. <laughs> because I can't think of anyone else these people would have in their will. Oh wait, sorry, I forgot Mary's brother. Their bar- <laughs> like their uncle that they've never met before they buried Mary. Yeah. Who doesn't exist in canon. <laughs> no, they mentioned him. Yeah, but he doesn't even come up in the Winchesters. <laughs> well, they give her a, a cousin that we've never heard of in Supernatural, but, but we don't get to meet her brother that they do. <laughs> so anyway, the whole sequence with the cabin and with Michael. Actually, let's we kind of got off track a little bit, but I wanna know, what are your feelings on Michael. This is the first time we've ever actually interacted with him. I don't like him. Okay. I think it doesn't help that he has John's face. And like <laughs> I just don't like John because he's a lying hypocrite. Well, he's an angel. So <laughs> that's honestly at this point kind of there I A hundred percent. It's like John has that whole speech where he's like, oh, who would raise their kids like that? You must be so messed up. That's so wrong. Da 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 All I can think of is you know that like song that's like your whole worldview collapses when you're confronted by a spider. Oh my god, Bo Burnham. Yeah. Yes. That is all I could think of. I'm like, okay, yeah, so you're against child abuse until you are the child abuser. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that momentarily. I personally think that there is something about Michael appearing to Dean in the body of his father. So it's just something that's very unsettling. Mm. Like, Michael's whole is unsettling. Like, there is just something, and I think that's very intentional. I think it's good from, like, a narrative. Like, it's very intentional. They they wanted it to be. Yeah. Like, it's also the actor who plays young John in this episode does a very good job of, you can see the shift between John and Michael. Mm -hmm. You can really see, like, the differences between them and, like, their mannerisms and the way they talk and the way they walk. And, like, he did a very good job of that. I've obviously seen the casting for, like, the Winchesters, and I was like, I don't think... The guy who plays John looks a lot like John. Drake Rogers. Drake, Drake Rogers. But looking at this episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this dude looks exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, so at this point, it's JDM who's kind of looking different. <laughs> I actually really love all three of their yeah. portrayals. Like, obviously, it's no secret. We don't stand John on this podcast. No. We're very anti-John. However, I do think every actor that portrays him has done a phenomenal job. Like, you haven't obviously seen the Winchesters yet, but I love Drake's performance. I think it's really nuanced and well done. I adore Matt Cohen's performance. I think it is also very well nuanced and well done. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan as well, obviously, Mm. is the OG John. 
he is the one who gave the character a lot of that nuance to begin with, yeah. other than obviously the writers who created him. But what I really enjoy about particularly Drake's and Matt's performances is that John is so fucking likable. He's just some sweet fucking bumbling idiot a lot of the yeah. time. And then you also get these moments of him where you're like, but you see where the Jeffrey Dean Morgan iteration comes in. Like you can really see it. I think they both do a really great job of making John this likable character that you want to believe the best of. And also you get these moments where you're like, oh, there's something more sinister here. And I think that they toe that line very well. Like you can see that anger in him, even under this sort of more golden retriever energy version of John. I think it's also just really interesting that in this episode, you've got a lot of John apologism from Sam specifically. Yes. And literally none of that from Dave. Night and day, which is really interesting because typically the way it goes is Dean's the one with the John apologism. And we're starting to see that, like, that switch, like, as the show goes on, Mm -hmm. we went from Dean was the one constantly apologizing for John's behavior and constantly accepting it and being like, oh, he was just trying to do the best he could. And Sam was the one being like, no, it's fucking bullshit. And now as we get further into it, and Sam becomes more like John, suddenly Sam is forgiving all of the messed up shit that John was doing because he's got to justify it to himself. I'm doing the same things that John was doing. So obviously John wasn't that bad because I'm now doing them. Mm -hmm. It's that like I can now see from his perspective. I think what's really interesting, I personally would argue that we haven't really had that much John apologism from Dean since like season one. Yeah. Particularly the turning point of Dream a Little Dream of Me 310 and the monologue that Dean has Mm. against himself where he says like my father was an obsessed bastard and like does that whole bit that like just drives me crazy and feeds my brain worms. That for me... I would say that is the final point where he's like, I recognize the shit that John did, right? And you're right, for Sam, Sam starts season one so angry at John. And he even says in this episode, you know, I used to hate the guy. But you're right, like, as Sam has gotten back into hunting for the same reason that John did, bearing in mind, like, you know, he saw the woman that he loved that he built this life with die. The white blonde woman in a white nightgown. Exactly. You know, as Chuck pointed out in The Monster at the end of this book, all for the sake of literary symmetry. So he sees Jess die and then he has this anger and he's just moving forward with it. And the way that he makes these choices that affect the people around him and he is doing it from his perspective. He is doing it because it is... The choice that is like helping, right? Like the thing about John is that often gets touted is like he was just doing his best. You could argue the same of Sam through like seasons three and four. Dean was dead and Sam was doing his best. Sam thought that he was doing the wrong thing, but he was doing it for the right reasons, you know? I also think the thing that makes Sam more redeemable as a character versus John is Sam was kind of doing it to himself. John was doing it to two small children who John was meant to be the safe space for them, but like, you know, you know what I mean? Like Sam was doing it to himself. Like mm-hmm. Sam was making the choices to do it to himself. At the end of the day, what he was doing, like obviously it was harming people. <laughs> it did literally start the end of the world. It did start the end of the world, but he didn't, <laughs> like his point wasn't, I want to start the end of the world. His point was, I want to protect people. How can I do that? I can get stronger. And, like, in his process of getting stronger, he wasn't neglecting his children. Generally speaking, like, he did get to the point when it got really bad, but generally speaking, when he was, like, when he was drinking demon blood, he was drinking it from Ruby. 
and Ruby's vessel, who was already actually dead. There was no one else trapped inside Ruby's vessel. Like Sam is an oddly ethical villain arc. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and even then, like he was actually causing less collateral damage than he had previously been causing because he was doing the thing where he was exercising demons with his mind, whereas the traditional version of that would be to stab, stab the them vessel yeah. and then just kill both the vessel and the demon, whereas and he had found a way to just kill the, the demon. demon. And we know that Sam is very sensitive about stabbing. We know it's his one true weakness. So <laughs> He really just didn't want to put anyone else through that knowing that mm. it was the only way to actually fucking kill him. <laughs> I really enjoy the conversation that happens between Sam and John. And I think that you make a really, really interesting point about how Sam has come to this realization that like he can empathize with and understand John's decisions now and Dean no longer can yeah and so you have this really interesting moment where Sam and John are having this really fascinating conversation and Dean and Mary are having this really fascinating conversation I have been saying forever like Dean is Mary coded Mm -hmm. Sam is John coded they put it into fucking text here, don't they? This is explicit now. Yeah. Like, you know, I've been pointing it out forever, but this is like, oh, this is undeniable now. Mm. That's the point. But I think it also does something to show exactly how much Mary's death fucked John up. Because you're right, like, he starts here and he's saying, who the hell does that to a kid? What kind of irresponsible bastard leaves a child anywhere near <laughs> a striga? You know, you could have been killed. Your father was supposed to protect you. If you think back to the pilot, Sam was talking about how, you know, I told dad I was scared of the monster in my closet. He gave me a 45. And Dean makes the argument, like, well, what was he supposed to do? You know what's out there. And, like, that was his way of protecting. We recently had in I Believe the Children Are Our Future, where the brothers were discussing how, you know, sometimes they wish that John had lied to them. Yeah. And they wish that they had been protected in that way. So it's a very big shift. And it's been happening for seasons, but like right here, it's like they put it in bold and they underline it. Like they're like, in case you missed it, guys. I think what's happened is as they've gotten older, they've faced the same choices that John faced. And as Dean faces the choices that John faced, Dean realizes, oh no, the choices dad made were genuinely messed up. I would never do that to a child. Whereas Sam is realizing, oh, actually, no, I would have chosen the same thing as dad. So it's like, it's like that justification process of Dean's like, oh, no, I would never, ever, ever fucking even think that was a viable option. Yeah, it comes back to this discussion we've been having for a while now, which is like for Dean, the means matter. For Sam, the goal is more important. And that's the same for John. For John, the goal of getting the yellow-eyed demon was more important of the means Mm -hmm. and like the damage he caused in the duration of that like attempt to get that goal whereas for Dean the choices you make along the way are ultimately just as or more important than Hmm. the goal or destination you know and we've seen this come up we've talked about it a fair bit this episode just really highlights those similarities and it's interesting to see Sam have his monologue you know saying you know the truth is my dad Mm -hmm. died before I got to tell him that I understand what he why he did what he did I forgive him for what it did to us and I love him. And that's a very different sort of conclusion for Sam to come to than we've had Dean come to at all about John. What is really, really interesting about it though is that in a later season, we will have a similar discussion from Dean about, you know, forgiving people and like, you know, having this struggle between wanting to be mad at someone or hate someone but actually like ultimately like can't help but love them we will have that for dean but not for seasons from now 
And when we get there, hopefully I will remember because it's going to be years from now. I will remember to reflect back on this and point it out to you. But I do think for anyone at home listening who does know what I'm talking about, it's a very interesting dichotomy, I suppose. What I would like to talk about now, though, is John's a little bitch. (laughs) Not this version of John, future version of John. Mm. And I would like to use this version of John as evidence for something that we get on the head of So basically, in On the Head of the Pin, I'm pretty sure they say that John had been tortured for many, many years and John hadn't. Yeah. Basically that John held out longer than Dean. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bold-faced lie. Yeah. Because, like, let's face it, Michael said, I can save Mary and John came. And so I think if John came this easily to Michael, there is no way in hell his resolve when it comes to torture would be stronger than Dean. I don't think that Alistair's lying when he says that John held up longer than Dean, but I think it's because John wasn't given the choice. Do you know what? I actually saw a really interesting piece of meta on Tumblr recently about this, and I'm so sorry, I don't have it with me because I wasn't planning on bringing it up. It wasn't going to be relevant this episode. However, it is relevant. I'm making just it relevant. Made it relevant. The point that this person had made in their meta was they were talking about why Dean Kate in hell, right? And they made the point that rather than him caving because he was sick of being tortured, it became an issue of Dean would rather be in control of the pain that other people were being caused because he knew how bad it was under Alistair. So the idea being that if he is in control of the torture, it won't be as bad. Mm. And so like this idea of like, yes, he is going to be torturing the souls, But it's actually better for the souls if that's the case. Because he has restraint and he will hold back. Yeah. So, like, it's actually torturous. Like, it's torturous for him because he is the one who is holding the knife and causing this pain. But he's chosen to do it because he knows that it will cause those souls inherently less pain than if he just let Alistair or one of the other demons take care of it. And I was like, that is a really interesting take. And seeing as it's kind of become relevant... Mm -hmm. I just pop it in here. If that was you who wrote that piece of meta, thanks for the brain worms. It hurt. They were delicious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so I think that's a really interesting take. And I certainly think it is interesting to think of like the difference between John and Dean in hell and what would or wouldn't have caused them to break. I do think that this particular instance is like a little bit different because I mean it's obviously a very different context. Mm. I don't know if they're directly applicable, but I like where your brain is at with it. Here's the thing. John is more John, easily coercible yeah, that's, than Dean. That's what I mean. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, I think we've now gotten to the point where I can say with a decent amount of confidence that Dean is the righteous man in part because he is Michael's true vessel. Like those two things are connected. You can't have one without the other. They have to be the same person. Mm-hmm. It's not like Dean just happened to win two prizes at the beauty fair. I would like, argue he lost. I don't think either of these things are a prize. <laughs> it's like he lost a really bad bet. Basically, like, you know, in, in the beauty pageant that is God's pool boys, yeah. <laughs> Dean didn't just happen to win two completely separate roles no. in God's plan for the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I think these two roles had to go to the same person. Yes, the righteous man is the Michael Vessel. They are the same person. One and done. Yeah. One and done. 
Um, so I just don't think that it was worth it for the like demons to offer John the same choice. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that Alistair is lying when he said that John hadn't broken, but I think it's because John hadn't been given the opportunity to break. Yeah, they're not offering John the same deal they're offering Dane because he's not the vessel, and he's what's not the, the righteous point, man. Yeah. What's the point of offering that? Like Exactly. That, yeah, like, and we can see that actually Dean's willpower is a lot stronger than John because yeah. John's already said yes to Michael. It took him three seconds it and took him maybe a concussion. Three seconds and maybe a concussion. Like, there isn't a lot of time for actual coercion. Michael just said, I can save Mary. And he went, yep, okay. But the thing is, they've already done that to Dean. They've already said, we can save Sam if you say yes. Mm-hmm. And he went, hell no. Yeah. That's not the way that I'm going to save Sam. Honestly, there is so much in this episode. In the John and Dean dynamic, in the John and Sam dynamic, in the Sam and Dean dynamic, in the Mary and everyone dynamic, in the Cass and everyone dynamic, the Anna and everyone like, Everything is so just... It's one of those episodes where there is so much on the surface that you don't have to dig very deep. But then if you do dig a little deeper, it just opens up this whole fucking cavern of shit. You know, like we're talking about fucking on the head of a pit, which is half a season ago, you know, but it is relevant. Because they do purposely contrast John and Dean in on the head of a pit. And I think it's relevant here because, yeah, again, we've got this sort of like We've got this different thing that we now expected to compare yeah. Dean and John on, and they're reacting to it very differently. Yes. Speaking of Dean, John, and reactions, there is a moment in this episode that breaks my fucking heart every time I see it. I did rewind the episode and rewatch it a couple of times on my watch through this morning. <laughs> That's why you were running so bloody late. It totally wasn't because I had to take my dog to the emergency vet at four o'clock this morning. You're right. (laughs) No. So with this episode, the moment where Sam and Dean are at the door, they're talking to Mary. Mm. Sam is like fully not coping, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they're, you know, trying to convince Mary, like, you're in danger, like, whatever. And then John... Like, we don't care that you're out. You're in danger. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Dean is, like, really emphatically trying to get through to Mary. The severity of the situation, like, no, no, please listen to us. And then John comes to the door. The second Dean sees John, he straightens up, his chin juts, he, the expression fully changes. I don't know if you noticed this, but the jacking Joyce's in that moment make me want to scream. Because literally the second John appears, Dean adopts like military What's so funny though stature. is the moment that Dean stands up is also the moment where Sam sags. Mm. he sort of like retreats in on himself he's suddenly unsure like it's just oh god the fucking the in <sighs> this episode does something to me it doesn't make me healthier <laughs> new mental illness just dropped <laughs> <laughs> something about the way they react when john is there because like mm. they see mary and that's one thing like dean has met mary in this mm. before this is actually five years post for and also the other thing is dean remembers Mary and Mary remembers Dean but Dean also remembers Mary from childhood whereas this is the first time Sam has ever seen his mother in any way he'll remember Mm. the last time Sam saw his mother in the flesh she was burning out of her flesh and he was six months old whereas Dean remembers enough to convince Mary that he's actually genuinely yeah her child. I think that the angle they went with Sam in this episode is weird. Mm. Like, I think that having him just staring at Mary and being like, you're so beautiful is wildly inappropriate 
obviously, mm-hmm. because in the context that we as the audience understand it, it makes sense. Like, Sam is very upset and emotional. He's looking at his mother, essentially, for the first time, and he's very overwhelmed, and, you know, it's a stressful situation. Like, it makes sense, right? However, for Mary and John, it makes no fucking sense. Mary is clearly wildly uncomfortable. John is confused, and it leaves Dean in this position of being like, he means that in a totally familial, not creepy, weird way. Mm. Because they're also not that dissimilar in age at no. this point. Yeah. So it's just a And they've also odd... said they're cousins, so they're trying to be like a, it's not a, in a fuck my cousin sort of way. Yeah. It's a weird choice to do that. But I think once they kind of get beyond that point, like once John and Mary are aware of the danger, like once they've had the fight sequence with Anna... I think from that point on, it's much easier to enjoy the arc that Sam is going on because it's less steeped in this weird energy because everyone's aware of what's going on now. To an extent. They obviously don't know that they're their children at that point. but No. It's a weird time. Mm -hmm. Though I will say, I have a note here that I think is really funny, so I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) It's just after Anna's told Dean, like, meet me here. Dean doesn't go, Cass goes. Yeah. My note is men loving men, women loving women, hostility. (laughs) Because I'm sorry. No, I know. (laughs) Neither of those characters are straight. No. Not even a little bit. Not even a little. Like, I love the Cass-Anna interaction (laughs) for a variety of reasons. But, like, yes, neither of them are straight. Actually, I have a point on this. I have a so fun point on this. So you remember in 401, pretty pivotal episode, Lazarus Rising. I feel like maybe you remember it. I think that's largely unimportant and forgettable. (laughs) I'm I'm not too sure what happens in that one. So we get a couple of fun, like, callbacks to that episode, just in case you've forgotten. So when Cass goes to meet Anna in the warehouse, all of the lights are just fucking exploding, Mm. which is, one, so funny. Because we've established at this point, Cass is doing that for the sheer drama. Like, he doesn't have to, he's choosing to, and I think that's so funny. Queer icon Castiel. Queer icon Castiel. Number two, I think it is beautiful the way that the sparks cascade down around Anna and the way that they make a wing formation. I just think that that's very fun imagery. It's beautiful. It is one of my favourite instances of them showing wings behind an angel, just like the gold and the shape. It's just very pretty. But number three, in 401 Lazarus Rising, very memorably, Dean greets Cass for the first time. By stabbing him directly in the chest. Totally normal reaction. Totally normal reaction. Unfortunately, (laughs) Castiel is not Sam and not susceptible to stab it. At least not with that knife. No. However, in this episode, Mary greets Anna for the very first time by stabbing her directly through the chest. Mary and Dean being very co-coded. I just think it's funny. But also we have a portion of the fandom who do ship Mary and Anna, and we do get side-by-side gift sets of these moments every now and again, and it's very fun for me personally. I I get it. Like, I I get the urge to ship two characters who barely attract each other. <laughs> but you're you're shipping the characters who meet what? Like, does Anna meet Mary at any point in the future? Well, Anna is now dead. Yeah. And Mary's been dead since the pilot. And when, so when we do the next lot of time travel, we don't have Anna in that episode. I'm sure. no, 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 no. Yeah, so it's like, it's not like we get any, like, this, this is, is the, the only interaction they ever have. This is the one and only interaction they ever have, unless at some point off screen, Anna goes and, like, past Anna goes and checks in on Mary. And, for whatever reason. For whatever yeah. reason. On orders of God. So you're telling me 
that the fandom's like, ah, yes, these two women who meet once and stabby stab stab. Yeah. We're shipping them now. Yeah. For no apparent reason other than the fact that they're slightly destiocotic because their first meeting involves... Stabbing? Stabbing. Yes. You're looking at me with concern. I don't see the problem here, Jamie. <laughs> that sounds like a perfectly reasonable series of events. <laughs> I, look, I know I can't talk. I have written a piece of fanfic that ended up being shipping Megan Berry. I don't really have a lot of a leg to stand on this one. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so you're so right. Women loving women, men loving men. In that. I, in that warehouse. I, I can feel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do, I do want to talk about Cass and Anna in the warehouse specifically. Yeah, Anna is like fully pissy. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Dean actually likes you. I, it's so funny. It's so fucking funny. Because literally the last time Cass and Anna interacted, obviously before he had her sent back to heaven to be, what did he say? Persuaded. <laughs> Reconditioned. Lobotomized. But no, so we had like Cass and Anna interacting and in that the Heaven and Hell episode, right, from the mid-season four, Cass arrived and basically was like, Anna has to die, right? And then we have this episode, Anna being like, Sam has to die, which we don't love. Cass and we get doesn't Cass love. saying, oh no, he's my friend, which... All right. <laughs> is he your friend or is that just easier to say than if you murder him, my boyfriend will be sad? <laughs> Here's the thing. Yes. Literally, it's canon. Cass cared about Sam because of Dean. So... I mean, he cared about everyone. Because- <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Because he's in love with humanity. You're saying things you don't even understand yet, Jamie. And it's one of those times where I love it, but I'm also in pain. So, I'm going to move right along. Basically, Dean is having a wildly unnecessary sex dream scenario thing yeah. that we didn't need. It's like a waste of 45 seconds of screen time, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. But then Anna drops in, which I do think is so funny because that is 100% Cass's move. Yeah. And she is using it. Which makes it even funnier that then Dean went and reported this to Cass. Here's the thing. Cass isn't going to know unless Dean told him. Exactly. And I want to highlight this because at this point, Dean, even though Anna has just said, hey... Cass turned me in, sent me back to heaven. I've literally been in prison because of him for the last however fucking long it's been. Dean is like, mm, okay, but I'm still going to like tell Cass though. Yeah. But Dean has so much fucking unwavering faith in Cass at this point that he doesn't even question, or at least not on screen, he doesn't question the fact that Cass had a good reason mm. to send Anna back. Even though him and Anna obviously have their whole little romantic rendezvous past. Though this entire episode gave me the vibes of, like, Anna is the ex. Yes! And, like, Cass is the new one and, like, Anna is pissy because Cass is the new one. Like, yeah. Literally, like, Dean goes, like, oh, yeah, Cass, like, did this thing. And she goes, Cass, right. And I was, like, jealous much? Damn. Like, it's it's really there. Also, I want to draw attention to a couple of points about this sort of early part of the episode. Number one is Anna saying about Cass, he was always a good little soldier, did anything under orders. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. It is about Cass. However, does sound specifically familiar to Dean. What gets me though is everyone's like, "Mm, yeah, Dean follows orders. It's like, no, the whole, your whole issue is he's not currently following orders. Like that's your entire problem with Dean currently. It's also the problem they have with Cass. He's the one who stops following the orders. Like they keep talking about Dean and Cass as both being like good little soldiers, daddy's little soldier or daddy's blunt instrument. 
And even Cass just like says to Dean back in the Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester, I am not a hammer. Yeah, I'm not a blunt instrument. But they literally are out here being the ones who are defying the orders and refusing to conform. But everyone keeps telling them that they're little soldiers who are only meant to conform. And then there's fucking Sam out here where everyone is like, oh, Sam's like rebelling, blah, blah, blah. But he's literally just following the fucking orders. Yeah. Like, it's so fucking interesting. It's like they're explicitly showing you one thing, but then trying to convince you of another through the text. And it's bizarre. Just another example of supernatural gaslighting. <laughs> what can I say? I learned from the best. <laughs> I learned my gaslighting techniques from Eric Kripke. <laughs> I also wanted to talk to you about the line, if you're out of prison, it's because they want you out. I 100% believe Cass on this one. This entire situation went down so perfectly in the angels' favour that I don't think that it was a coincidence that Anna quote-unquote escaped. So either she's just pretending she's fully rebooted like Cass was and she's now once more following Heaven's orders, or they implanted these thoughts into her head and then let her escape knowing that she'd do exactly what they want. Yeah, so either way, Anna is not working of her own volition. Either no. way, she's being manipulated by heaven or controlled mm-hmm. by heaven in some respect. Yeah. Okay, she's so either being manipulated by heaven or controlled by heaven. There are the two options. Which are almost one and the same, yeah. really. It's just like the method of. Yeah. Yeah. Then Cass goes on to say, I've experienced heaven's persuasion. And like, there's like an emphasis on the word persuasion. And I would argue that it's like, Essentially, I've experienced heaven's war crimes. You know, I've experienced them breaking the Geneva Convention. I've experienced the hell version of heaven. You know, like, and then he goes on to say, and I fucking adore this line because it is so just, it, I think that the point gets across so perfectly and it's such a well-placed threat. Cass is saying to Anna, like, if you're not planning on hurting anyone, what are you doing with that knife? And Anna is like, what, I'm not allowed to defend myself. And Cass says, against who? That blade doesn't work on angels. It's not like this one. And I love that so much because not only is he calling her out, calling her bluff, but he's also then threatening her in both a very subtle and yet completely overt way. He's saying that blade is not That's going not to- a knife. This, this is, is a knife. knife! In case you forgot, we're Australian. <laughs> so anyway, he is pointing out that blade isn't going to hurt an angel, aka me. However, this one that I have will hurt an angel, aka you. But also, that says to me that Anna, whether she's under orders from heaven or is just being manipulated by heaven has made a miscalculation because she didn't expect Dean to tell Cass. Otherwise, she probably would have brought a weapon that could be used against Cass. She expected Dean to bring Sam. Yeah. Do you know what else is really interesting? Is that there is no reason why Anna, an angel, should not be carrying an angel blade Mm. unless heaven did not equip her with one, which means that there's a chance that they're still concerned that she may go rogue again. Because why wouldn't she also have an angel blade? An angel blade would still kill Sam. Yeah. Like there is no reason why she had to have a knife. He's susceptible to all stabbing instruments. Including pipes. Yeah. So. (laughs) New stab stabbing weapon just dropped. The only thing that we haven't had canonically confirmed that could potentially kill other members of Team Free Will, but not Sam, is Rebar. So, <laughs> but yeah, like, there is no reason why she shouldn't have had an Angel Blade, because an Angel Blade would have been just as effective on Sam 
as any other kind of blade. So I find it interesting that she's not carrying. So what that suggests to me is that, no, she hasn't been fully lobotomized again. Mm. They've just manipulated her and sort of let her think Mm. that she's escaped. Or because I think she then does have her angel blade when they go back in time. I'm pretty sure Mary takes it from her when they're Mm. fighting. Because Cass is not present there, and neither is Uriel or Michael. And I don't think Michael has a sword at any point, other than Dean, who is, like, literally right there. But that's more of a metaphorical thing. Lucifer's an angel, right? Yeah. Would an angel blade work on Lucifer? So do they not work against archangels? So it's not a spoiler, so I don't mind telling you, and in fact, I already have. But basically, angels have their angel blades, archangels have their own specific blades. So a typical angel blade does not work on an archangel. It's kind of like an inconvenience, like, ouch. Yeah. Like, it would suck. Like, it's more painful than a regular blade, but it's not powerful enough to actually kill them. It can't kill them. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Okay, before we move too far on from Cass, because I think we're coming to the end of of the Cass discussion, there are a few more points Mm -hmm. that I think I would like to make. First of all, I know we kind of joked about it before, but the fact that he calls Sam his friend does actually speak volumes. I think that's so sweet. Like, it shows how far, like, he has come in terms of his opinion on Sam from Mm. mid-season four to now. And Anna actually says to him, you've changed, which I think is really interesting because if we think back just to episode four of this season, Dean specifically says to Cass, like, don't ever change. And here is Anna calling out, like, you've already changed. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. Also, that Cass says, like, you know, we're not going to kill Sam. We'll find another way. Yeah. Cass' thesis. I think it's just really nice that Cass is very adamant, like, no, like, we're not going to kill Sam Winchester. He is my friend. Oh, so and it wouldn't even fucking work. It like, wouldn't even fucking work. I don't understand why they suddenly think that killing Sam is going to, like, do anything. Like, if they kill Sam... It'll actually probably make it easier. Lucifer can just well, inhabit like, his body. There is no longer a consciousness to, like, consent. give consent. Yeah, anyway. And if it still weird. matters, even if the like the soul is in hell or whatever, they are more easily able to torture him in hell versus on Earth where they can't even fucking find him because Cass wrote on his ribs, this is my boyfriend's brother, don't touch him. <laughs> exactly. However, what is interesting is when Sam is like sitting in the room and he says to Cass, like, well, you know, if I died, would that fix anything? And Cass doesn't respond straight away. He actually looks to Dean. And then he answers. And Cass is lying, I yeah. think, here. And he says, no, like, it wouldn't help at all. But I think he is lying. I think yeah. that there actually is a reason. Yes, like, it would help, even though it seems, like, I logically don't think it makes sense. But obviously, I think that is, like, the angle they're playing at. I think the only way for it to help would be if they knew for certain that if Sam was to die, he would be sent to heaven. I think that is literally the only the only option. Yeah, but even then it becomes the argument of like, okay, but like, then is his vessel just uninhabited? Like, because it's the body that is needed, not yeah. Sam consciousness, I suppose. So but then again, I guess it's the same argument for why can't demons just possess dead people? It's... And like, Ruby had to go through that whole thing to get that vessel. I don't know. I suppose it's just a little bit convoluted. Like, there's no clear answer here. But the point is... I think Cass is lying, and I think he is lying for the sake of Dean. His first instinct when Sam asks that question is not to look at Sam, but to glance at Dean before answering. I mean, to be fair, his first instinct is always to glance at Dean. That's, to be fair, he's usually not looking away from Dean. Yeah, so it's really rare for him to even have to <laughs> glance back towards Dean in the first place. I also want to point out that when they arrive in 1978, Cass says, I'm much better than I expected, immediately vomits blood and passes out. I 
iconic behaviour. Uh, and then I'm also really sad that they used Misha Collins for like not even five minutes of this episode. I know. I'm like, it's such a waste. He's such a delight. You have to Cass pay him is... anyway. Like, yeah, and just I put him in the episode. I fucking love Cass so much. It's always a shame when he's not around. But then Dean pays for Cass to be in the honeymoon suite for five nights straight, and I just think that's such an interesting addition because there's no reason he had to be in the honeymoon suite, or even that it had to be specified. Like, why not just say I've got him a nice room? He'll be comfortable for the next five days. Or I've set him up for the next five yeah. days. The honeymoon suite. Very specific. Yeah. Do you think that Dean brought him some of Mary's tomato soup? Oh, I mean, he doesn't have to eat. <laughs> but I love the idea. I also like, we get a new description. I told you back in, I believe the children are our future, that we will have multiple descriptions from Dean of Cass and they evolve through the years. This is our next one. He's tough for a little nerdy dude with wings. Which is so fucking funny considering that if, like, Cass really wanted to, he could murder Dean at The fact that Dean looks at Cass and just sees, like, a nerdy little guy is so funny to me because it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It would be so easy for him to kill you. But I honestly think this comes down to, like, the fact that Cass lets Dean manhandle him. We've been talking about this since the end of season four. Cass lets Dean push him around. Other people don't get to do that. To everyone else, Cass is, like, immovable object. Yeah. You know, but to Dean, he just, like, he just is so pliable. Dean guides him into sitting, he'll sit. Dean shoves him, he'll move. But, like, everyone else, like, no. He just, he's If Dean says, no, we're not zapping there, we're driving, because I don't like it when you zap me. They'll drive. Yeah. Everyone else, Cass goes, too bad, knocks you out, takes you. Like, and even, like, in this episode, we have Dean convincing Cass, like, Cass is like, you know, we can't do this. It's, like, not really feasible. And then it takes Dean three seconds to convince him. It's very interesting that Dean has this perspective of Cass that he's just some nerdy little guy. And I was like, no, baby, he's only that to you. Everyone else understands that he is a very powerful, <laughs> very strong Even Weekend, he was able to zap three of you guys back to the fucking past. Exactly. And, like, we saw how fucked up Anna was just moving herself. And she, theoretically, has the power of heaven behind her, which Cass does not currently have. Yeah. He just has his own fucking determination. We also get, at the end of the episode, Cass, like, zaps back, and either Sam or Dean say, you made it, and Cass looks at his hands like a baby looks at their hands, like, when they're first realising they have them, and he goes, I did. I'm very surprised. And then he passes the fuck out. Cass honestly spends the most most of this episode either unconscious or being a badass motherfucker and, like, <laughs> nothing in between. It's low-key Jeremy Carver writing Sam Coded. Oh, my God. The new component of the Sarah Gamble Moncon <laughs> is that she's, like, erasing Cass from the narrative. Here's, here's the thing. It's not that she's erasing Cass from the narrative. It's that she campaigned so hard for angels and then she got this fucker. <laughs> And so she's bringing back the angels that she likes, like Anna and Uriel. Uh-huh. But she's like, I don't want to... She's like, this is not the angel that I ordered. No. <laughs> she's like determinedly trying to return him. And yeah. they're like, sorry, this receipt is no longer valid. The fandom have now adopted him. He is unkillable. <laughs> the way that this is actually so perfect, you don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> this brings me to probably the last part of Cass's portion of this episode that I want to specifically touch on. Dean's quote where he says, this is it, team free will. So this is where we first get that term. This is them being coined as team Team free free will. will. 
one ex-blood junkie, one dropout with six bucks to his name, and Mr. Comatose over there. How are you feeling about Team Free Will? I did have a note that Team Free Will was born. We finally get the reason for Monica. I thought maybe it was just like a fandom thing. Like, you know how sometimes, like, sometimes it's like, oh no, this is like something that they call themselves in canon. Yeah. Other times it's like, oh no, it's just like literally they seem to be the only three people Free Will in this universe, so they're Team Free Will now. Yeah. I was thinking that if we got Team Free Will, it would be later on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, five seasons away from yeah. now. But... Yeah, it's interesting that we've now actually got, like, the name for them. It's one of those things that I knew, but I don't think I was, like, necessarily a detrimental spoiler. No, Because no, it's no. like, I just knew that people referred to them as Team Free Will, so I didn't realise that it was actually something that Dean sort of... He coins the term. Yeah, he names them. Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure if the fandom naming of them came before the, like, canonization yeah. of it, only because I wasn't present in fandom at the time. I think that, like, there is an equal likelihood it could have gone either way. But ultimately, because obviously in this episode we get Michael specifically say, free will is an illusion, Dean, which holy shit, is that going to be important literally until the end of the show? That is such an interesting conversation and interesting theme for these characters. Dean specifically has a really ongoing arc with this concept specifically. So the fact that he then comes back and is like, right, this here, this is team free will. We are the three who are going to prove that Michael is fucking wrong. We do have choice. And what was it he says earlier? I've got to believe that I get to choose what I do with my unimportant little life. That is so key to his thinking going forward and the way that he views what he, Sam and Cass are fighting for. Oh, I did just want to mention this episode. Thank God they never update their world. <laughs> they would be fucked if if they did anything that was like modern or trendy. Oh my like, god, yeah, they would not have fit at all. They get randomly zapped back to the past sometimes. Also, Sam's shirt is fucking ugly. <laughs> it's horrible. Like the yellow and brown fucking stripes. Hate it. I also think it's interesting that we get the line at the start of the episode, Sam is the only vessel that matters. Mm. They're specifically, obviously, regarding Lucifer, but I think it's important that they, they mention Nick specifically. Yeah. And they say, oh, that vessel's falling apart. But also the other thing is, we know it's not like Lucifer has two potential vessels. Yeah. I don't think it's literally like Nick and Sam. I don't think they're the only... I think Adam will be revealed to be a vessel. They spent a lot of time confirming, oh, no, this kid's genuinely John's son. Yeah. For it to not come back up again. But I just, I think it's interesting that they're like, oh, well, he's the only one that matters. I think that's going to maybe turn out to be false. I think there is maybe going to be some sort of like plot twist where it's like, oh, actually, no, secret third option. There's a fourth brother. (laughs) There's a fourth brother. Turns out it actually changes the birth order so that Sam's no longer the Lucifer vessel. He's now the Gabriel vessel. (laughs) Gabriel shippers rise up. (laughs) Adam's now the Raphael vessel. And there's a secret fourth younger child who's actually the Lucifer vessel. Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be more stupid than anything else Supernatural has done. (laughs) Arguably it's less stupid than some stuff you've yet to see. (laughs) Okay, I have a few more points that I would really like to touch on. How are you doing? Have you got anything else that you... I don't really have anything else too much more crucial that I want to mention. Like, I think we're pretty well, like, a lot of major stuff. And there was so much major stuff going on this episode that I just didn't have time to pay attention to all the stuff. That's fair. My notes for this episode basically look like a transcript. Here's the thing. Not so much this episode, but last, like, we just recorded the Long Way Down job for Leverage, and I was like, I should have just, like, got a script and put it out. Like, mm-hmm. I did think that when I got to the end of these notes, because I was just pausing this episode to fucking write down little bits of monologue. I was like, I should have just gone to SuperWiki and just highlighted shit, yeah, <laughs> honestly, rather like, than taking notes. 
So I want to touch on the things that Dean said to Mary to convince her that he really was her son. So he says that when I would get sick, you would make me tomato rice soup because that's what your mum made you. And instead of a lullaby, you would sing Hey Jude because that's your favourite Beatles song. It's not super... Is this why everyone had Hey Jude on their Winchester's bingo? Yes, this okay. is exactly why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was devastated we didn't get it because... That just seems like a fucking waste. But anyway, none of that's really important. I just think that it's nice to, like, have these little things that Dean clearly remembers because we don't often get to hear about Mary as more than just, like, perfect dead mother. So it's nice to have her, like, have some actual substantial things that Dean can remember other than just, like, she was my mom. I think it's also just, like, a nice reminder that while Sam... Because I think it's sort of, like, you just kind of forget that... Sam, like, they've obviously both lost their mother. Yeah. But Sam cannot remember a time before not having a mother. Yeah. Whereas Dean does. Yes. Dean has all sorts of memories of Mary. Like, he wasn't so young that he can't remember anything, whereas Sam was. We'll actually get to talk about this a little bit more in depth in a a little, like, while from now. A few episodes up, we get a little bit more information about, like, what Dean remembers of his childhood. And so that will be really interesting to think back to this moment about. I also just want to touch on Mary for a minute. I think that she goes through a lot in this episode. Mm. And I have a couple of points. I think that the moment that she starts breaking down because she thinks that she raised her kids to be hunters is just heartbreaking. Because it is the thing that she is so desperate to avoid. It is the absolute last thing she wants is to put her children through what she was put through. And so for her to think that she had for some reason done that to them is just like heartbreaking. And I also think it's really interesting that Sam says to her, you think you can have the perfect life, but I'm sorry, you can't. It's all going to go wrong. And I think that is so interesting because that is Sam's personal experience because Sam wanted what Mary is saying like she wants. Like he's thinking of Jess, I think, in that moment. He Mm. tried to get out. He tried to live that normal apple pie life. And he just knows from experience that it just doesn't work that way. The other thing I wanted to touch on in regards to Mary, this is one of the episodes that before the Winchester started airing, me, August, KJ and Elena from Over on Wayward Parents all watched this episode as part of our like lead up because obviously we get a lot of Mary and John info and we, we used it as part of our speculation before we got the first season of Winchesters. Yeah. And one of the things that I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was KJ pointed out is that Mary is super involved in all of the like combat scenarios mm-hmm. and all of the fighting. Like she takes on Anna, she's fully thrown into that car, like, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff until the audience knows she's pregnant. And then as soon as the audience knows she's pregnant, she is literally not involved in any fighting at all whatsoever. She stands behind Sam and then she gets made unconscious by Michael. That is literally it. But everything up until the point where you know she's pregnant, she is heavily involved in all of the fighting. And I just think it's really, really interesting that they were like, oh, well, now that we know she's pregnant, we can't throw her against any cars. But before, when we didn't know, that was fine. <laughs> Obviously. It's giving me Peter Hunger Games, if not for the baby vibes. Yes. <laughs> I also think we have to talk about the conversation that Dean has with Michael. Okay. Where do you want to start? There are so many things that we could talk about here. I have a couple of choice quotes that I might just run through just to jog anyone's memories in case it's been a while since you watched the episode. But it's very much in regards to the parallel of Sam and Lucifer and Dean and Michael. And there's a couple of points that really just tear at my heartstrings. So we have Michael saying, Lucifer defied my father and he betrayed me, but I still don't want this any more than you would want to kill Sam. 
So, like, they're really heavily, like, drawing those comparisons. Yeah. Like, Sam obviously defied John and he betrayed Dean in regards to, like, Ruby and stuff. But Dean still doesn't want to kill Sam. No. And Michael does not want to kill Lucifer. Like, I think they're really, like, hammering that point home. He just wanted to put him in the timeout case. Exactly. Just like Dean putting Sam in Bobby's panic room. Exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Exactly. The the exactly. <laughs> and then we get this really interesting point from Michael. And we have been talking about... I still I reckon they might wrap up the season by like trapping Lucifer and Michael in the same cage that they've trapped Lucifer in. The fucking get-along cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing the get-along cage back. And then we have a really interesting point from Michael. And we've been talking about ad nauseum since like season one about how Dean is not Sam's brother as functionally as Sam is Dean's. Like Sam is Dean's child and mm. Dean is Sam's parent. Yeah. That's kind of the dynamic they have there. Sam doesn't seem fully aware of this, but it's just the case. I'm going to stop you for a moment, just because I had a thought about the get-along cage that I think is really funny, so I'm going to share. <laughs> so you've got the Lucifer Michael get-along cage with Gabriel as the therapist. Oh my god. <laughs> on like the outside, trying to like coach them through family therapy. That is iconic. I would like a fig of that stat. <laughs> so anyway... Michael says, uh, my brother, I practically raised him. I took care of him in a way most people could never understand. And I still love him, but I'm going to kill him because it is right and I have to. And I think that is really interesting because obviously it's basically outlining how Dean feels about Sam. You know, I practically raised him. I took care of him in a way most people could never understand. And I still love him. But then Michael says, I'm going to kill him because it is right and I have to. And Dean says, what, because God says so? Michael says, yes. And then Dean says, and you're just going to do whatever God says. And Michael then says, yes, because I'm a good son. And I really just want to reflect on the fact that this is exactly where John and Dean and Sam were at at the end of season one. Because John said to Dean, you're going to have to kill Sam. Like, you save him or you kill him, basically. And we're ruling out saving him, so you have to kill him. This is where Michael and Dean did. Michael is saying, I'm going to kill him because it is right and I have to because... That's what God says. Dean heard John say, you have to kill Sam. And he flat out refused. The and fact we've already established he could. Sam is very stabbable. Yes. And the fact that Michael says, yes, because I'm a good son. And then Dean scoffs. I want to throw you right back to season one. We're thinking Scarecrow right now. Mm-hmm. Dean makes this exact argument to Sam. Sam says, I don't understand the blind faith you have in the man. It's like you don't even question him about John, right? Mm-hmm. And Dean says, yeah, it's called being a good son. Like, this is a direct line. I went back and I checked the transcript of that episode. It's the same thing. And then off of the back of that, Dean says to Michael, trust me, pal, take it from someone who knows that is a dead end streak. And I'm like, Dean, baby, that is growth. This is looking back at where Dean was in season one, like going into season two but making different decisions. Michael is choosing to listen to the John equivalent, which is God, whereas Dean chose to save Sam. And it's just, it's so interesting. Like you can see exactly where the paths diverted. It's so, so interesting to me, personally. And where the paths diverted is where Cass entered the picture. Because up till the end of season three, Dean was playing the part pretty nicely. He was refusing to kill Sam, but that would come with time. I, I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I, I see where you're going, but I don't know if I agree with you. Like, normally, yeah, I would fully be on board. Like, Cass, yes, is the thing that, like, changes the thing. In this instance, I do think that Dean has, like, differentiated himself from Michael in that moment in that he just, like, refuses to, like, kill Sam. But in saying that, 
I do think it's very cast coded of him. <laughs> I, I think it's, sorry, I think I didn't explain exactly what I was trying. It went from Dean going, okay, I've got to save him or kill him. Mm-hmm. Save him or kill him, save him or kill him, save him, save him. Trying to, with all his might to get to save. Mm-hmm. And then he hits season four and he's like, well, I'm not going to kill him. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's no longer even an option. It's like, whether I can save him or not, I'm not killing him. It becomes sort of less of a, like, I've got to do one or the other. I'm going to try to do one, but if I have to do the other, I'll do the other. To, like, yeah, no, I absolutely... It's certainly very interesting, regardless of how you look at it. And I just really wanted to draw attention to those exact parallels, because let me tell you, when we watched that episode way back in season one, I nearly threw something, because I was like, oh my god, it's so fucking baked in. This is going to be so relevant four seasons from now. It's so nice to be able to look back on it and be like, yeah, you can see this dichotomy between the two of them, both Dean and Michael and Dean and Sam. And I just, it's so good. It is so satisfying to me. (laughs) And I think I have just a couple of like slightly quicker points that I want to make. That was the last, that was the last like in-depth point. So first up, John thinks that Samuel died of a heart attack. Man was fully stabbed. He was stabbed vaguely in the heart region. And we have established that characters named Sam are very stubborn. (laughs) So I guess you could call that an attack of the heart. Mm. Like he was stabbed in the... No, actually, do you know what? He stabbed himself in the the fucking gut. So it's actually completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. I don't know. Like, John at some point in this episode makes a note. You know, you might have treated me like a fool, but I'm not useless. And I'm like, to be fair, man, you looked at a man with a giant gaping stab wound in his gut and went, oh yeah, he clearly died of a heart attack. So I just think that that is so funny. I love the fact that even after all of that, John is still absolutely blissfully unaware of the supernatural. (laughs) I know. He's been introduced to it twice now, and both times he's just been conveniently mind wiped. And he just has no idea what's going on. He's basically Sam. Refuses to learn anything. (laughs) You're so right. Oh, okay. Speaking of John not learning from his past mistakes, I fucking love the canon compliance of John randomly disappearing, only leaving a cryptic note. I love that that is something that, like, it doesn't matter at what point in John's timeline. Fundamental character trait. Yeah, exactly. It's just a thing that he will do. He will just leave without explaining anything to anyone and just leave like a, yeah, I'm coming back at some point, maybe, question mark. I just think that it's a very fun moment when they have, like, they're all in the Impala and John's doing the whole, like, monsters are real and you fight them, all of you? Shut up. Not a word out of any of you. So help me God, I will turn this car around. They saw an opportunity and they took it. Yeah. The last thing that I really want to touch on. Oh, actually, not last thing. First of all, RIP Anna. Rip. We should probably just mention that. Now Anna will be strictly limited to any sort of flashbacks. Yeah, pretty much. Which is unfortunate. I think she was a really interesting character. And I hate it when they kill women. Yeah. And I think it was kind of like a little bit of a spite thing of like, well, we can't kill Castiel. <laughs> so I guess we have to kill the other angel who's also a Dean Love interest. <laughs> the last thing that I want to touch on is the part of the very end of the episode where Mary has bought the angel figurine. And she's saying how I can't even put my finger on why I like it. I just like it. And then we have, like, the kick from Dean, literally, from in the womb. Fuck off! (laughs) She says, you know, oh, troublemaker already. It's okay, baby. It's all okay. Angels are watching over you. Unfortunately. That's bad. (laughs) Though, looking at that figure, Dean would 100% have the urge to push it off. (laughs) 
but yes, no, I think that it's really interesting because also it's a callback, obviously, to the fact that that was the last thing Mary ever said to Dean. And so it's like, this is where that started. And like, we know where it ends. And we also know the like heavy relevance that it has. Mm. And so it's just like a really interesting point. And I'm really glad they included it because I think that it carries a lot of weight. It's almost even like um maybe like the angels left like a little bit of crumbs of angels in the brain. Yeah. So that hopefully Mary's conditioning of Dean before she died would <laughs> pick up a bit of traction. Anyway, that is everything I think that I've really wanted to cover. Honestly, there's probably a million other things that mm. we could talk yeah. about in this episode, but those are the primary things that I wanted to cover. Did you have anything else? No, I think I'm done. There is just so much in this episode that I feel like I missed half of. Yeah, it's one that you can go back and rewatch like eight times over and you'll still be finding more little bits where you're like, oh, well, that's relevant to that. And acting choices and props and sets and whatever else. And it's also one that is not only very plot heavy in terms of like the actual plot, but it's also heavy in terms of characters. So there's a lot going on. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Jamie, how would you rate episode 13, season 5, The Song Remains the Same, out of 5? I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. Okay. It was interesting. It was fine. Nothing wrong with it. Three and a half. Solid episode. Gave us some answers. I'm going to respectfully disagree on this one. I think I this episode is so much better than a 3.5, but that's... You know. I can see that. It's And it's really interesting for someone who likes this show. It was fun and it was really interesting, but it's not the sort of vibe or tone that I normally yeah. believe. The next episode is titled My Bloody Valentine. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, predictions? Castile finally asked Dean out the day. <laughs> Unfortunately, Sam also gets stabbed. So it's now both <laughs> Valentine's Day and bloody. Okay. I guess that kind of answers maybe my next question, which is do you think Cass is going to be there? Well, I'm hoping so. Because here's the thing. At the end of the episode, Cass is passed out unconscious on the couch. Yeah. So either Cass is in the next episode or we have a fan fiction gap. Of <laughs> just West Cass. Who knows? Of like... When did Cass no longer be passed out in the cap? So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed listening as much as we have had fun recording. If you wanted to get in touch with us, you can always hit us up on any of our social medias. All of the links are in the description below. And some potential topics for conversation could include reminding Jamie of anything we talked about in this episode. It's hard because it's like basically everything that we talked about in this episode is like big plot reveal stuff. So it's like I'm not actually sure what I can ask about and what would be towing the line too close to asking for spoilers. Uh, Yeah, I can't really think. Look, you know what? Hit us up with whatever you want. Yeah. If you want to. No pressure. It's fine. Cool. Also, just a quick reminder, as of right now, there is also a link to a survey in our episode description. So feel free to head over there. We just asked a couple of questions about how you felt about the podcast up to this point. We're going into yeah. Gamble era. We're looking at maybe taking on some feedback if you've yeah. got any. We'd so, love some reviews so that we can reveal season six with a whole new look. It's still <laughs> essentially the same thing because I doubt we're going to change it fundamentally. Yeah. But point is, if you wanted to leave some feedback or just answer the couple of questions that we have asked about, you know, how you feel about Team Free Will mm. and all the other bits and pieces, feel free to head down to that link and fill it out if you haven't already. It will stay open for the next couple of weeks and we will let you know when it's closing. Anyway, thanks so much for listening and hopefully we'll have you back next week. Bye. Bye.